0: Welcome to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series. I'm your host, Shay Wissell. For those of you who are new to the series, welcome. And for those returning, thanks for tuning back in. Today we're speaking on the topic of law and higher education, and that's a combination you wouldn't normally put together. Our guest speaker today recently moved from Melbourne to Tasmania to take up the position of Vice-Chancellor and President of Tasmanian University. He has a long history of working across the private, educational and social sectors as a lawyer as well as a board director. He has accomplished all of this as well as many other accolades. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure. I came across your story in the ABC News when um, I was reading about you and I've also done a little bit of research following that and read your bio and you've had some amazing achievements um, and won a number of awards including a Rhodes Scholar and you've recently become the Vice-Chancellor of Tasmanian University and you're quite open about being dyslexic as well from what I've read. So how have you been so successful and been so open about being dyslexic?
1: Well actually it's not until much later in my career that I was open about it. and uh, really, not till I started um, in the last ten years, when um, I was Master of College, it was the first time I was uh, really publicly open about it. Um, and that's really because up until that point, uh, the prejudice that I saw out there in the world um, around dyslexia uh, was so severe that I actually thought it would probably be, um, you know, liable to cause cause me uh, discrimination in various forms. Um, if I was, but having got to a position where really um, you know, I, I thought I was probably above that, uh, I thought it was really important to be public about it for the sake of all the other people who have dyslexia and no doubt felt very similar to the way I did.
0: At what age were you diagnosed with it?
1: Well, for me, I, I knew I had a, some, some significant kind of learning challenge from when I was in primary school. Um, and school, aspects of school were a uh, uh, total struggle, and school was a very paradoxical experience, probably uh, embodied in the uh, year when I was in the kind of remedial English class and the English class at the same time. So school was a huge struggle to try and find ways to, uh, um, you know, successfully communicate um, uh because I did find writing in ways that people could read really hard, um, and it wasn't actually till um, I'd left Australia that uh, I w- was able to uh, get a diagnosis, um, uh, and, uh, and that was after I'd finished um, uh, my undergraduate uh, my undergraduate life, which um, had some serious challenge because of the dyslexia all the way um, all the way through it. So it wasn't until I was about twenty one that I. Uh, Got that diagnosis, and uh, and was therefore able to um, get uh, the right kind of you know um, flexibility in university to kind of accommodate it.
0: Wow, was that diagnosis in the UK?
1: Well, it was actually in Germany, um, Ah. uh, and then uh, it was where we first kind of got uh, a thread on it because through a set of circumstances, we happened to know someone who was a specialist there. who was able to begin the process of um, identifying it. Um, And then in the UK, which is um, light years ahead of Australia in this,
0: Mm -hmm. um, uh,
1: they were both very understanding and accommodating. You know, I had the very good fortune to get Oxford University, and with some trepidation I explained the challenge, and they, they were, for the first time in my life, somebody said, actually, that's fine, we have lots of dyslexic people here, uh, and yeah, no, here's the ways we kind of accommodate that. Um and for the first time I was in a place where it wasn't assumed dyslexic people somehow, you know, had uh, you know, uh some kind of uh lack of intelligence, um and uh required some uh, kind of accommodation um in uh, in quite negative ways. So rather It was the first experience of being affirmed about it.
0: Yeah, I wondered if it was the UK because some people I've spoken to have gone to the UK to work and have ended up being assessed and diagnosed over there. Yeah. And yeah, they've found the same thing that when they go over there, it's they feel much more accepted and um, valued than when they're in Australia.
1: Yeah. No, we we are. uh, It's uh, you know we really are uh, terribly behind really
0: awful for far too many people. And that's um, why we've established the foundation so we can take the first steps in trying to rectify some of the issues that are happening here at the moment. Um, It's baby steps. But how did you feel when you came out? What was the reception like? We say come out, it's not the (laughs) best way to talk about (laughs) it but that's how people have been um, explaining it to me. They feel like they've come out when they um, openly talk about being dyslexic and it's... um, something that not a lot of people are doing really Um.
1: no so you get I mean I think still in Australia you get the full range of experiences from those who've had some kind of encounter with it who are just deeply relieved there are other people who are talking about it and happy to kind of you know talk about how how one uh, engages with it and sees it um actually I think as a as a real strength and not just um a constraint through to those who still kind of make jokes about it um as though in the way that you know, once upon a time, people made um, jokes about other forms of disability. Um, uh, to those who still think it's some kind of limitation on your intelligence, mm. um, and happily, a small number, maybe a modest number of people, probably a growing number of people, who recognise that you know history is full of, of some remarkable dyslexic people where the dyslexia was probably part of what contributed to them being able to you know make real contributions to the world.
0: So were people accepting of you when you started talking about it?
1: Yeah, well, they were because I was, you know, I was the head of university college um, uh, full of very, cap- you know, very capable students and staff. Um, uh, so in a way, they had to immediately put to one side. It clearly couldn't be to do with intelligence, if, mm. you know, given the role I was occupying. Um, so people had to think about it a little differently um, and look, I was very fortunate. It was a very, it was a community of students and staff who, you know, one of the place's values is diversity. Um, and so it was a very good environment to be engaging around it because it was, you know, we were a community committed to working, you know, seeing all of the advantages that come with true diversity.
0: I've spoken to someone that's um, an academic in another university and she'd um, had a, different type of experience where she felt she had to come out because she was being poorly treated around her academic even though she's an academic her writing skills have been impacting enough on her work where she felt she had to start disclosing what was going on because um of the way she was being treated so it's interesting people's different perspectives on being an academic in that type of field
1: yeah, I think it's still highly, highly varied, and it's largely because it's, you know, broadly not well understood. Mm. Um, uh, so, you know, all efforts to expand people's understanding is, I think, terrific. And also, it, the importance is not just to address the need to make... Uh, it's, you know, to have a system that accommodates a much more de- a wider range of forms of intelligence... Um, you know, our system has come to prioritize a really quite narrow construction of what intelligence is. And for our world today, our need to have a much you know, a broader embrace from a broader sense of types of intelligence I think is really critical. And, you know, for all the challenges that certainly posed me in you know, important points in my life, I don't think I've been able to do all the things I've done unless I was dyslexic. Um, it's the ability to think in holes, in relational terms, to see the patterns and the big pictures. Um, a lot of things that I think come with my dyslexia, um, the ability to combine the creative and the analytic, um, that have really been the core of what's enabled me to do what I do. Um, so I wouldn't be without it, however hard it's been at various points. And you know, I, you know, I hope and work for a world where um, we can be kind of gifts that dyslexic people bring can be more widely available and accepted and and may not be blocked out and discriminated from uh, discriminated by.
0: You, you talked in the um, article that I found in the ABC about a highly conformist system yeah. where you know and the workplace is very structured in the way it works and um, that we should be promoting more of a non-conformist way and I think dyslexics are quite non-conformist not just in the workplace but I think in general because we do think very differently Um, have you always thought in that sense around the workplace and how we should be working in different ways I mean you've had a very colourful career and you've worked in a lot of different areas from the Defence Force through to being a lawyer so
1: yeah look I, I do think in the world I think in the world today it's We have to build organizations that really take advantage of the kind of diversity and talents of, you know, various talents of people. And, you know, most work today um, that's, you know, sustainable into the future needs to be ever richer in in the creative uh, content that it's got in it. The routinized work of the world is destined to automation um, in various forms and, you know, um, even... You know, so-called white-collar work is destined to that. If it's if it's routinizable, it's automatable. Um, so the importance, I think, therefore, of enabling people to be more creative, um, so they can do a much broader set of things and create a lot more value, um, seems to be really important for the future of work and for people having jobs. Um, so I, I think that sense that you know, non-conformity actually the only work people get paid to do in the future will be the kind of work that doesn't conform to routine. Mm.
0: I hope so. <laughs> I'd like to yeah, stop I, being uh, in I the routine. I think it's a mere
1: certainty. I think mean, technologies, unless we have some kind of Luddite revolution, which I, I don't see happening, um, the nature of work is going to change, huge, you know, continue to change hugely. And, uh, you know, people will need to occupy um, the creative uh, places that... Um, that computers and machines can't occupy. We need to be getting down that road right now.
0: So as someone that's been in leadership roles, have you been able to influence change in the way that you can bring more people that have dyslexia or creative thinkers into the workplace or be able to change the way workplaces are starting to move from a conformist to more non-conformist or more flexible types of workplaces?
1: But my leadership role have really been in you know, in a university setting, um, and certainly there, I've sought to do that, and just by being open about it, to make it clear that um, uh, that's something that I see the you know institution, in that case that I was a part of, a common you know needed to um, embrace that um, and give people a sense that that was something appreciated and valued, and um, people should feel comfortable to. Um, you know, be dyslexic and feel that they were their contributions would be valued, or if they were students, that um, uh, any need for the system to be adjusted to uh, support them would be certainly well supported, you know, by the college.
0: Have there been um, is there anything that you've learned overseas while you're in England or Germany that you've been able to bring across and implement?
1: Not really, not not directly. Other than to be aware of that the, the um, level of sort of capability um, in those places, both to diagnose and support people, um, is just an order of magnitude different. And how how in need um, we are in Australia of a significant uplift in the capability to identify um, and Know, accommodate, and, and in, the, in our whole niche edu- right across our education system. Mm.
0: Um,
1: so, uh, yeah, it's more knowing what you know. Certainly, if not good, a way a lot better looks like. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's that that I've I've taken away from most places.
0: And for you on a personal level, how is, does dyslexia affect you? I mean, you've had some really high level high up roles and high leadership roles and you've sat on boards as well and that's not easy Um, being a board member myself and having to do a day job so what strategies have you put in place to be able to manage such a high workload really?
1: Well I think actually dyslexia is a big help on that because it means I tend to see the big picture in things quite quickly. And certainly in all those different kind of governance roles, being able to see the big picture and the essential issues um, is a really big help um, to doing that. You know, I have to allow enough time for getting through papers and things. There's a bit of accommodation needed for that. Um, uh, But the power of being able to join the dots and see what really matters and ask the questions that kind of cut through... um, uh, those things I think um, make it much easier to do those things um, and you know in the most practical ways um, you know it was, I was very fortunate my sort of, uh, first major job which was at McKinsey um, they had proofreaders so mm. it was a godsend <laughs> that um, would have been
0: a big help uh,
1: it was a huge help mm. um, and so I've always been fortunate since then to make sure that um, I have people working with me who are good proofreaders yeah um, uh, but look, I still have to live with the embarrassment of sending emails. there's you know, where I don't have many proofreading all my emails, obviously, you know, where are words left out, um, or mm-hmm. I, you know, flipped something around, um, um, or use the wrong, you know, use the, um, you know, the phonically wrong word, yeah. um, uh, and people sometimes get a little puzzled as to why you know they they, they don't realise I'm dyslexic. They think I, maybe I've been just writing too fast and left a few words out, or used the wrong one, or. Um, and, of course, I look at it and I can't see it. So no. um, uh, there's just a level where I've got used to living with the kind of low-level embarrassment of, um, that comes with that and pushing on regardless.
0: Yeah, I had a colleague that she proofreads my work for me and she said to me the other day, do you miss words out? And I said, yes. Yeah. She said, yeah, I'm starting to see the pattern now when I proofread for you. I know what to look out for. And she yep. said, it's, yeah, I realise now it's the odd word gets missed or the odd letter at the end of the word. Yeah. so now she said it's even easier for me to proofread because I can see exactly what I need to kind of look out for. Yeah. And that makes it easier for her. Yeah. But it is that low-level embarrassment of <laughs> being at a certain level in the workplace that you're making those simple mistakes, what I find for myself anyway.
1: Yeah, no, for sure
0: but it must be um, easy. I think as you get up the higher up you get if you're able to get an EA or certain assistants people that can assist you it makes it easier
1: Yeah, well the terrific thing at McKinsey was even in the most junior role I had because it was really committed to quality that anything significant that was going out to clients always got proofread anyway Um, so it was just part of what you know, quality looked like Um, and that meant for the first time in my life, I wasn't a special case. It was yeah. just part of, you know, the normal making sure good quality things had is there was somebody dedicated to keeping an eye out for those misspelled words or omitted words or whatever it was. And, you know, I felt normal because the system just automatically accommodated it. Um, uh, it was a real, and it, it really was a huge positive
0: how did you manage with all the readings at uni, studying law? Did you have certain strategies? Yeah, it was really place? hard.
1: I'm a slow. I mean, you know, I was, I still am. I'm a slow reader, um, and so um, uh, you know, I've got, I got very good at being a tactical reader. Um, uh, you know, so I, uh, you know, law, law is all about reading case after case after mm. case, um, and so I would get the textbook out and. Find out what the principle was before I read the case. Um, And then I'd read to kind of, um, you know, aim to figure out which bits of the text really had the core of it um, and uh, combine those, you know, high level picture of what the logic was going to be with the bits of the case that made sense. Um, So, yeah, over the years with all those academic subjects, I got very good at tactical reading and very good at figuring out. you know, for me, a big part of the strategy was figuring out what the shape of the ideas were, um, and that meant that I'm I'm you know able to kind of dip in and figure out how it fits together, rather than trying to get through a vast volume and figure it all out. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it was a really key. That's always been a really key strategy for me.
0: And so being in the roles you're, you're in now and other roles, have you felt a responsibility to advocate for people with dyslexia, particularly now you're in the education sector and you're openly now disclosing and talking about your dyslexia? Do you feel you've got a place now to be advocating?
1: Yeah, look, I think that's sort of emerging, really, um, as I realise how, you know, I'm in more position to, you know, um, be a be a useful advocate uh, advocate for it. Um, so I'm you know moving more into that um, mode
0: because I mean Tasmania's doing a lot, particularly with the twenty six ten. We interviewed um, some people down there last year. So the Lord Mayor from Circular Quay was interviewed, and we talked about the twenty six ten program and all the great work they're doing. But that Tasmania in general's. Um, quite far behind. A lot of people, community members, have low literacy skills in general, let alone um, people with dyslexia and the issues they face. So there seems to be a lot of work being done in that space already to try and improve outcomes for people in Tasmania.
1: Yeah, look, it's getting underway and I actually just, by sheer coincidence, before we were meeting, I was meeting up with um, the uh, um, key uh, um, With Amelia from Square Pegs, the chair of uh, Square Pegs, um, and uh, hearing about the just terrific work that um, you know she and her colleagues have been uh, um, have been doing. Mm. So um, you know, and talking about how I might lend my support to the great work that uh, work that they're doing. Because yeah, for sure, there's a lot to do.
0: We'll be um, interviewing Rosalie Martin. So she's from there as well. So she's been doing a lot yeah, of advocacy yeah, work in the prison.
1: So I met her as well. Yes. Um, and, you know, they are great people, really, absolutely terrific.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of great work being done in Tasmania at the moment. So yeah. you're going down at a great time, I think. And it's great to be able to share your story and to show all the amazing work you've been doing, really, and how much you've achieved are there key messages you'd like to send out to our audience around all the successes you've had but I any challenges it, that you've overcome in your journey?
1: I think the key, for me probably a key thing is while recognising that the system really does make it hard sometimes, I mean really hard, um, that in the end yeah, focusing on the gifts and strengths that it gives you is In it, or into somewhere else, which does enable you to um, to use those uh, to use those strengths. Um, uh, I think in the, the day, you know, they are such considerable um, gifts um, that if you can find a way of working and living that really takes advantage of them, um, you know, it makes life both happier yeah. and your ability to contribute and uh, make a difference in the world that much greater.
0: Is dyslexia something that runs in your family?
1: Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. I don't think that my, um, I don't think those who came before me, um, they were never diagnosed. But yeah. when I, I look uh, I can see, I can see very clearly where it comes from.
0: Yeah, we can see it in our family too. Has it gone down through your gener- through to your children? Have you? Yep.
1: So yeah. I have a very dyslexic. I have one very dyslexic daughter, um, uh, and uh, that, of course, gave me super painfully aware about how unbelievably uh, far behind we are in Australia. Um,
0: yeah. Well, it's good uh, that you're a strength-based family then.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've had to be very focused on being strength-based. Yeah. Um, very focused.
0: Um, we were talking about that in another podcast today about when, when there's difficulties to try and make them as neutral as possible and to really focus on the strengths, whether it's arts, music, sport, and... Um, the difficulties, keep them as neutral as possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my daughter is extraordinary at art and as a a maker um, uh, and as a conceptual thinker. Yeah. um, And she's a great talker. Um, uh, So, yeah, we focus on supporting her and all those strengths.
0: Yeah, and I think being on a board actually is a good thing for people with dyslexia because we are big picture and strategic thinkers and analytical thinkers and you don't have to do much writing. (laughs) I find on my board anyway, even though I'm sitting on a board as a chair and as a board member and the CEO for the foundation, which you don't normally do, but yeah, um, yeah, it's more around the conceptual and the big picture and strategizing. So, but yeah, that's all very positive. So thank you so much
1: for coming on the show. Every strength to your work and... um uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure Pleasure to have a conversation
0: Well good luck in Tassie we'll be Thank following you, you and um, all <laughs> the great work that's happening down there because um, there is some really amazing stuff happening so we're keeping a close eye on it and hoping to um, form some great partnerships with all the work that's happening down there so we great. look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you I'll so much like and have a wonderful afternoon much. Bye. Talk soon. Bye If you would like to find out more about Rufus and his inspirational story, head to the Dear Dyslexic website to find out more at deardyslexic.com. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue 1-30-224636 1-30-224636 or Lifeline 13 Thanks for listening and until next time, bye for now.